Turn with me to Ruth chapter number 1 this morning. Ruth chapter number 1. You know, we're studying for the book of Ruth for the Apollos course and had a good first week last week. If you missed it, you go ahead and come on anyway. It was sort of the introduction week last week, and I won't say you didn't miss something. You did, uh, but we got notes, and we've got it recorded, and you can catch up real quick. So be sure and come be a part of that tomorrow night at 7 p.m. We'll be jumping in to the first chapter of the book of Ruth. As I was studying the book of Ruth and reading different commentaries and books, uh, one preacher made this statement that in preparation to write this book, uh, that when he was studying for it and preparing to write the book on, on the book of Ruth, that his church at that time, he was in about three or four different series that he was doing at one time. He said the Lord had him put everything on hold, and uh, he just preached out of the book of Ruth primarily. And he said that sometimes for two and three weeks, the messages would all, every message would be out of the book of Ruth. Uh, he said it was hard to get away from the truth that is found in it. And as I've been studying the book of Ruth, I can't help but say the same thing. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that last week I I planned on preaching on Ruth chapter 1. Didn't plan on preaching on it this week, but the Lord wouldn't allow us to get through the whole sermon last week. Uh, But I believe that it's the will of God that we just continue on a little bit and continue to follow this thought, there is bread in Bethlehem. Last week we uh, preached about Naomi. And Naomi goes with her husband Elimelech down into the country of Moab. She leaves the place of the presence of God and the place of the protection of God and the place of the prosperity of God and goes down to a place called Moab. The Bible says about Moab, God said that Moab was his wash pot. Or if you're from around here, wash pot. And uh, you say, what does that mean, preacher? That God said, that's my trash can. The wash pot was when they would uh, wash every, all the dishes out and they'd have to have a pot of water to wash it in. You can imagine how filthy that water uh, must have been. It wasn't fit for nothing but just to throw out after you was done with it. And uh, God says about Moab in this time that Moab was his wash pot. And they leave the place of blessing and go down to the place of bondage. And there Elimelech dies and... Uh, the husband of uh, Naomi and the two sons of Naomi, Malon and Chilion, they marry Moabite women. And I don't know which one married which, the Bible does not tell us, but they married women by the name of Ruth and Orpah. And uh, there they stayed for ten years, and you know, sin always keeps you longer than you sign up for. And they stayed there ten years, and, and uh, the boys died there. And now the scene that is set before us is that of, of Naomi. She is a widow. She is childless. She has had to bury her husband and her two sons. And here she is with the care and concern of these two women, Ruth and Orpah. And a tragic scene is set before us. We saw how that she came back to Bethlehem bankrupt. But I'm glad to tell you this morning that there in the midst of her grief, there in a time when it seemed like nothing could ever get better, there came somebody from Bethlehem. And they came along and told Naomi that the Lord has visited His people in giving them bread. And Naomi, there is bread in Bethlehem for you if you'll come home. I'm thankful this morning that for the sojourning Christian, I'm talking about for the Christian that's running from something, I'm glad there's bread in Bethlehem this morning. I'm glad you may have started off this day wrong, but you don't have to end it wrong, you can end it right. 
You may have started off this week out of the will of God, but you don't have to finish this week out of the will of God. Or it may be in decades that you have walked contrary to the will of God for your life. Hey, you don't have to stay in that condition. There's bread in Bethlehem for you. But this morning I want us to look at this thought. Not only is there bread in Bethlehem for the sojourner, and we see that in Naomi, but when we look at Ruth, we learn that there is bread in Bethlehem for the sinner as well. Let's begin reading in verse number 6. The Bible says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, you should also bear sons. Would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. I want you to look back with me uh, at verse number 14. The Bible says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd now bless your word to the hearts of your people. Lord, if there be any here in need of Christ's salvation, oh, Lord, help them to see that there's bread in Bethlehem for them this morning. God, help us all to see that Christ is the sufficiency, that He's the answer, that there are no other answers, that He is the answer this morning. And help us to look to Him for our salvation and for our strength. Lord, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Ruth chapter number 1, we find that it is centers around these three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. There's not much said about Orpah, and if the Lord lets us, we may spend a little time next week talking about her. But this morning, I'm very interested in the work that God does in the heart of Ruth. Now, you have to sort of put yourself in the place that Ruth is in. Ruth is a Moabite woman. She has no home, she has no place, she has no future, it would seem, in Bethlehem. And yet she makes the decision to leave her home, to leave the country of Moab, and to follow her mother-in-law, 
uh, all the way to Bethlehem and to change where she lives, to uproot her life and to go to that place and to live there for the rest of her days. Now, you may say, preacher, that sounds ridiculous. Preacher, I could never do something like that. Preacher, why would anyone do such a thing? Preacher, it is impossible to think that that would ever happen. Well, can I tell you something even greater than that that happened? And it sort of parallels the truth that we have here. You see, you and I, we were a lot like Ruth before we got saved. We were born in a foreign land. We were citizens of this world. We were alienated from the family of God. But we heard that there was a better way. We heard that there was a better place. We heard that there was a better master. We heard that there was a better way. And so based upon that hearing, you know the Bible we talked about last week, the book of Proverbs says that as uh, cold water to a thirsty soul, so also is good news from a foreign land. In the same way that Ruth heard these truths about Bethlehem, and then she had a choice to accept it by faith or to reject it, when you were lost, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you heard that God had provided bread somewhere. The book of John says that Christ uh, is the bread from heaven, John chapter 6 tells us. And you and I, we heard that though we were lost sinners, though we were aliens from God, though there was no hope for us, though we had no future, there we are with the broken pieces. I like that she played that, didn't you? I don't know if you knew it or not, but I sat there the whole time singing, Pick up the broken pieces and bring them to the Lord. There we are in the brokenness of our lost condition, and somebody comes along. Maybe it was a gospel track. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was an old-fashioned preacher. Maybe it was some praying mama or grandmama. But somebody came along and whispered in your ear and said, Hey, I know your life's in pieces. Hey, I know you've not got anything. Hey, I know that you're in a sorry condition. But can I tell you there's bread in Bethlehem for you. That's your testimony if you've been saved. That's my testimony. You say, preacher, it didn't happen just that way. No, but it happened pretty much that way. It may not happen that way in every detail, but the truth is this. You were a lost sinner without hope and without help, and somebody brought you the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and told you that God had visited His people. I think that's beautiful, don't you? Hey, I'll get to preaching here and say, i got an outline and everything. I mean, I printed it out. I'm ready. But i just got to exhort you for a moment. Isn't that good? The Lord visited His people. What a beautiful picture of the condescension of Jesus Christ. You know where the gospel begins? It begins with the Lord visiting His people. Thou shalt call His name Emmanuel, which is to be interpreted God with us. You know the beautiful truth of the gospel is this, that God became flesh for you and I. That He condescended, left the palaces of glory, left the ivory towers and came to a place where he was hated and rejected of men and despised. And it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, the Word of God says. He became like you and me. He visited his people. After all, I understand we can make a lot of distinctions. I think those distinctions are important. I understand that lost folks aren't his people, but the Jews were his people. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came and he said, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. And they rejected him and with wicked hands and wicked hearts took the Prince of Life and slew him and hung him upon a cross. The Lord visited his people. And he visited them how? In giving them bread. Can I tell you something? Listen now. The Lord, when He came, He didn't come to take. He came to give. Oh, yeah, He came to take your sins. <laughs> he came to take your burdens. He came to take your heartaches. He came to take your hopelessness. But when He came, He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. 
He came to make a difference in the life of a lost sinner. Listen to me this morning. You may say, Preacher, I am too lost. I am too wicked. I am too unrighteous. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I've thought. Hey, I don't have to know the things you've done and thought. I know this, that Christ came looking for you because He came not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. He came looking for you. Your name, listen, neighbor, is on His lips this morning. He came that He might provide for you. He came that He might satisfy you. After all, that's what bread's for, isn't it? It's to satisfy the hungry soul. There's lots of folks going to die in their lost condition because they won't admit they're hungry. They won't admit that they need something. They won't admit that something's missing. But I'm glad this morning, if you're willing to come to the feet of the cross of Calvary, and if you're willing to say, Hey, Lord, I'm hungry, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I need something this morning. I'm glad there's bread for you. And I'm glad he has a way of coming and telling you all the way in Moab. She heard it in the country of Moab. Of all places to hear about bread in Bethlehem. In Moab. In God's trash can, the good news found its way there. But can I remind you that you were in the miry pit of sin, in the wickedness and muck and filthiness of iniquity. You say, I was a good person. Oh, you may have been a good person, but you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. We talked about it this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. You walked according to the course of this world. You may have thought that you was walking your own way, but you was just walking a course. That's all you was doing. You thought you was doing it your own way. You thought nobody was telling you. Uh, but the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, was coercing and working and controlling you. You were in the bondage of sin and iniquity. And if you're here today, I want to tell you, if you're here lost without Christ, that those chains are still on your uh, wrist, those shackles are still on your feet, that bondage is still in your life. But glory to God that there is a freedom in Jesus Christ. There is bread in Bethlehem, there is liberty in Christ and there is forgiveness if you'll just come to Him. You thought you was doing it your way, but you was really doing it the way everybody else does. Might have looked a little different, might have had some little distinctions, but you was just walking according to the course of this world. And yet, God found us all the way in Moab. Preacher, it's impossible that this little Moabite girl would leave everything she knew to go to a place of promise. But you and I, We've been saved by God's grace. We took God at His Word, trusted what He said about us, trusted what He said about our future, trusted what He said about our lost condition, acknowledged that we were in need of Christ's salvation, and by faith we said, I think I'll go get some of that bread they've got down in Bethlehem. I see a few things in this passage. I'm going to give them to you very quick this morning. And I think they're present in the life of anybody that comes to know Jesus Christ. We open this passage in verse number 8, the first dialogue that begins to take place. They, they set out on the road. Uh, Naomi, I don't know why, but at first she was satisfied for her daughters-in-law to go with her. But as they set out on the road and they go to make their way back to Bethlehem, she stops and she turns around and says to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. Verse 8, The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grants you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. I want you to notice, first off, in Ruth's life, we see the discourager speaking. Now, who would have ever thought that Naomi would be the one to tell him, go back to Moab. Don't come to Bethlehem. 
But sure enough, Naomi in her backslidden condition becomes the greatest hindrance to Ruth coming to know the Jehovah God of Israel. Can I tell you something this morning? A Christian out of the will of God can do more damage than any politician, uh, listen, than, than, than any city official. A Christian out of the will of God, bittered up and angry and miserable, can do more damage than legions of the most iniquitous people to ever walk the face of this earth. And do you know why? Because your word means something to a lost person. I know you don't think it does, but it does. You could imagine that if Naomi had never been to Bethlehem, maybe Ruth would have said, well, she just don't know what it's like. She might have said, well, she's just never been there before. But Naomi, she's been to Bethlehem. And she turns around and she looks at Ruth and Orpah and she says, girls, just go home. There's nothing for you. I would exhort you as a believer to make sure, listen, you ought to always be talking good about Bethlehem. <laughs> What you say in a moment of anger or discouragement could become the keynote opinion that a lost person has about the Lord and Calvary and Christianity for the rest of their life. That moment where you get mad. That moment, hey, listen now. Oh, my. Okay, Lord, if you want me to preach that, I'll preach it. I wasn't going to, but I will. (laughs) Hey, that moment when you get out of sorts and start complaining about your church... And maybe all that needs for a lost individual to say, I ain't never going to go to their church. Or that moment when you get out of sorts and you begin to complain about uh, God's people in general and Christians, that may be all that a lost person needs to say, that's what a Christian is. I don't want to be one. Let me just, and this isn't even my point, but let me just exhort you, don't be a Naomi. Don't be a Naomi. Don't have the attitude that Naomi had. And if you're here today and you're lost without Christ, can I just tell you this? Nobody can talk you into heaven. But you better believe that people can talk you out of it. Listen now, nobody can talk you. I can't, if I could convince you to accept Christ, I'd do it. But I can't convince you. Despite all of my trying, despite all of my persuasion, at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do to force or coerce you into accepting Christ as your Savior. That is a decision that you and you alone can make. There's never been anybody talked into heaven, but there's been lots of folks talked out of heaven. In fact, we see in this passage that though Naomi could not talk Ruth out of it, she most certainly talked Orpah out of it. Let me tell you something. We better be careful. If you're here lost without Christ, you better be careful because you don't know how many opportunities that you're going to have. We see that Naomi was her discourager, and she sort of discouraged her with three different things. I want you to notice them with me, and and I'm just trusting the Lord to do this right. I want you to notice that she discouraged Naomi with the prospect of returning to Moab. She says in verse number 8, go return each to her mother's house. You know what she's saying? She's saying, go home to mama. Go home to family. Go home where it's familiar. Go home where you're comfortable. Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Can I just pause there and say this? Listen, if anybody tells you that God's going to deal kindly with you, even though you've never been born again, they're lying to you. 
It's interesting to me that Naomi would say this to them. She says, the Lord deal kindly to you. And yet a few verses later, she says to Ruth, Ruth, go back with your sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law Orpah has gone back to her gods. She understands that the Moabites are under the judgment of God. And yet she says to Ruth, Ruth, the Lord deal kindly with you. Can I tell you something? We live in a world that may cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord God. I understand we live in a world of tolerance. We live in a world where, I mean, anything can be tolerated except opinions. Amen? We live in a world where it doesn't matter what you believe. We live in a world today where, I mean, listen, you can believe anything that you want to believe. Just don't tell me anything about what I'm going to believe in. Uh, Let's all just agree to disagree and pretend like there is no absolute truth. And you have everyone running around saying, I know it's bad. I know it looks bad, but everything's going to be okay. I know your heart is broken, but go ahead and live for yourself. You'll be okay. Uh, Listen, I know uh, that there are people whose families and homes are being busted up by liquor everywhere that you turn around, go ahead and take another drink. It's going to be okay. I know that marriage is honorable above all and the bad undefiled, but go ahead and live in an illicit relationship. It's going to be okay. And peace and peace and peace. The Lord will deal kindly with you in your iniquity. No, He won't. No, He won't. She says to Ruth, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse number 9. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. I'm going to put it real simple for you, okay? Naomi looks at Ruth and says, Ruth, look at all you're leaving behind. You're leaving your mama's house. You're leaving your home. And you're leaving your hope of ever having a husband. Ruth, look at everything you're leaving behind. You may be here today, and you may say, Preacher, why would I ever want to be saved? And the devil will slide up beside you and say, it's too big of a change. It's too much to leave. Are you going to leave those friends that you have? Are you going to leave that, leave that lifestyle that you have? You can't leave. It's too important to you. Let me remind you, he's a liar from the beginning. She would have died in Moab. Why would she not go back to Beth? What did she have in Moab? She had no future there. She had no home there. She had no hope there. She had no happiness there. And let me just let you in on something. If you can ever loosen the grips of sin and the world long enough to think with a clear head, you'll realize that there's nothing in this world worth dying and going to hell for. Not a thing. If you can just just loosen, if you can just lift the scales high enough to peek out underneath the blinding power of iniquity for long enough to catch a quick glimpse, you'll see there's nothing in this world worth it. We see that she tempts her, discourages her with the prospect of returning. Look at verse number 11. She discourages her through the poverty of remaining with her. She says in verse number 11, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You know what she says? She says, your home is in Moab, Ruth. 
But she says, there's no home for you in Bethlehem. She says, why would you go with me? Now, stop and think about that question for a moment. Naomi is, is heading back to the land of praise and of bread and of fruitfulness. She knows there's something worth going back for. But she looks at Ruth and says, why will you go with me, Ruth? There's nothing for you there. Can I tell you something? The world is going to try its best to convince you that this Christianity thing is just bunk. It's going to do its best to try to convince you. you know, what do you hear all the time? Well, them Christians ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. I found this to be true. I found that all walks of life are filled with hypocrites. But the most genuine, loving, caring, compassionate people that I know belong to the house of God. Listen to me. I understand that they say, well, you know, they're so judgmental. No, that's not what I found. I found you get around God's people, and I found that oftentimes they'll lift you up when you've fallen down. They'll encourage you when you're discouraged. They'll forgive you when you've done wrong. I, I know the devil's trying to tell you that there's nothing in Bethlehem for you, but I'm just telling you that there's bread in Bethlehem this morning. The world would try to tell you that there is no God in heaven. Let me absolutely unequivocally say to you today, regardless of who it upsets, regardless really of your opinion, this is true, that there is a God in heaven. Jesus Christ is His Son. And, and listen, and I don't need the endorsement of the National Council of Churches to say it either. I don't need the approval of uh, the Muslim relations organization to tell you that. It don't matter if it upsets them. It doesn't matter if it does not fit their political plans. The truth of the matter is there is a God in heaven. His Son is Jesus Christ. He died for you on Calvary. He loves you. He cares about you. He's interested in you. And whether you like that or not, it's still true. He loves you. He loves you. Try to say there's no God in heaven. Religion's just nonsense and foolishness. I'm not talking about religion this morning. I'm talking about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you there's something very real about that. And then finally, when that doesn't work, she says, and, and we've already noted it, but look what it says in verse number 15. It says, And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. She tried through the prospect of returning and through the poverty of remaining with her to discourage her. But finally, she tried to use the peer pressure of relations to discourage her. When nothing else worked, you know what she said? She said, Orpah went back. Why don't you just do what Orpah's doing? Orpah went back. Why don't you just do what Orpah's doing? Can I tell you something? If you're here today and you're lost without Christ, do you know what you have to do to die and go to hell? Absolutely nothing. If you just continue in your lost condition, and if time carries forth, you'll leave this world one day. And when you leave this world, you'll leave this world. You'll exit from your last opportunity of ever turning, and you'll enter into an eternal damnation and a place of eternal sorrow and suffering. You'll leave this place and have no more opportunities, and you don't have to do a thing to get there. Just go ahead and follow Orpah. She'll take you there. Go ahead and follow Orpah. She'll take you there. It's interesting. We'll say a word about it next week. But it's interesting to me that that's the last mention of Orpah in the Bible. Orpah walks off and Ruth could have walked off with her. You know why the Bible doesn't say anything else about her? Because there's nothing else worth saying about her. Her future ended at that moment. She had no more hope. 
Whatever the story was of Orpah, it's the story of every person that walks away from the grace of God. And that is that there's nothing left to be said. Listen to me. If you won't come to Christ for salvation, you're just out of luck because there's nowhere else to go. If you walk away from the Word of God and the grace of God, there's nowhere for you to go to. You have walked out of the pages of Scripture and into the abyss of darkness and obscurity, and there is no hope for you. This book is the only hope for you. You say, what about all the errors? Well, first off, there ain't no errors. But secondly, if I was lost and on my way to hell, I don't think I'd be so picky. It's funny to me that lost people always want to be theologians. You know, that's what the woman at the well did, right? Christ came to her and said, Hey, you come drink of the water that I'll give you. You'll never thirst again. And you know what she said? She looked at him and she had three arguments. I'm not going to go through all of them. But she wanted to have a theological discussion with him. And, and, and she said, You know, she said that, that why would you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, a Samaritan? And he looks at her and he says, Hey, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me. In other words, guess what? You're not in a bargaining position. Oh, glorious day in my soul when I realized I wasn't in a bargaining position with God. (laughs) I wasn't in a bargaining position. I didn't have in my hands no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. There wasn't nothing about me worth trading. It was grace that saved me. And then... Then she looks at him and she says, well, you know, you Jews, you say you worship down in Jerusalem. But our fathers, they say we worship up here at Bethel in Samaria. What do you think about that? <laughs> Lost people always want to... What do you think about that? You know what he said? He says, worship is of the Jews. You know not what you worship. Uh, God, uh, the, that God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. You know what he says? He says, what concern is worship to you? You don't know anything about worship. Can I say it this way? You say, preacher, I've got questions about the Bible. Well, here's my number one question for you. Have you ever been born again? Because if you've not been born again, nothing else in this book pertains to you. doesn't matter. You want to argue about denominations, but you're not even a part of the family of God. You want to argue about Bible versions, but you don't believe that any book is the Word of God. Oh my, listen now. You want to talk about modes of baptism, but you're still lost in the darkness of your sin. Ye know not what ye worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. He knows. And then you, know, then you know what she says? She looks at him and she says this. She says, when Messiah cometh, one of these days we'll know. Let me tell you something, my friend. If you leave this world without knowing God, you'll not know Him when you get there. You leave this world without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll not have a relationship with Him when you see Him. This is your only opportunity. You know what he said? He said that I am He. Very simple. I that speak to thee am he. You know what she said? She said, one of these days, I'll be face to face with the Messiah. 
He said, honey, right now you're face to face with the Messiah. Right now is the time to decide, or as the Bible says today, is the day of salvation. Go ahead and follow Orpah, and you'll follow her straight into a devil's hell. What you need is something other than what Orpah's got. We see the discourager in the first few verses. Notice verse number 14. It says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Now, the Bible uses the word but there not necessarily to show us that those two things are mutually exclusive of each other. I'm sure that that Ruth probably kissed her mother-in-law as well, but she also claved to her. And the Bible shows us that to draw a distinction between professors and possessors of Christ's salvation. And I'm not going to say a lot about it because we'll say a lot about it next week if the Lord will help us to. But I want to notice what Ruth did. She claved to her. And that shows us a few things. I want you to notice, first off, that it shows us her concern that she had. She understood that this was the moment to cling to Naomi. If she didn't cling to Naomi in this moment, she would never get another opportunity. See, it isn't like it is now. I mean, now, you know, hey, if somebody lives in Bethlehem, we just, you know, we jump in the car in 20 minutes, we're there, right? <laughs> I mean, now somebody lives across town, we just, and if that don't work, we just get on the computer, we just call them on the telephone. But in this day, when Naomi walked off into the horizon of Bethlehem, Ruth would have never seen her again. At that moment, she senses the urgency and the crisis that she is in. Let me tell you something. You know when a sinner gets saved? when they quit making excuses, when they quit caring about all those next opportunities, and they realize that today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you something. Everything, and I've said it a hundred times, but I'll keep saying it because I believe it is important, I believe it is vital, and I believe sinners need to hear it, that everything that you've ever done, you've done on a today, you've done it in the moment, you've done it right now. Ruth realizes now's the moment. If I don't cling now, I'll never get another chance. I don't know what your life holds in front of you. I don't know what the life of your loved ones holds in front of them. They may live a hundred years. They may listen to 10,000 gospel sermons. I do not know, but I know this, that there's not one of us, not me, not you, not anybody in this room that is promised tomorrow. None of us. And so if you're here lost without Christ's salvation, today could be your last opportunity. Say, preacher, will it? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. Heaven and hell is not worth gambling over. Today's the day. It shows her concern, but it shows her conviction. You say, what do you mean by conviction? I mean convic- I mean Holy Ghost conviction. Now, you say, well, but preacher, you know, the, the, uh, that was a different dispensational time, and at that time the Spirit of God did not indwell people. And uh, you know, Hey, listen, I understand. I mean, we can talk theology if you want, but you tell me what else would make a little Moabite girl cling to her mother-in-law. Hey, you you tell me what would make anybody cling to their mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. I'm just... I'm telling you that God was moving in the heart of that little Moabite girl. But I'm telling you this, a very real truth, a very real truth is this. God had to be working in her heart for her to be willing to turn and leave everything and to go. I am a firm believer in this. 
I believe in sharing the gospel with people. I believe in bidding people to come in. I believe in, in, in facing people with the reality of their situation. And I know if you've been around here any amount of time, you know that I believe in preaching the gospel with passion and fervency. But I understand this truth as well, that if, if God can't get someone to the foot of the cross, then I can't either. I understand that. I understand. I'm liking that. I like that. I mean, not spiritually. I just, it's encouraging. I was, I was vacuuming the house yesterday. I know you don't believe me, but I, or no, Saturday, or I don't know. At some point in the past few years, I have vacuumed the house. And I was vacuuming the house and I got done and he said, Yay, Daddy! You know? Everybody always talks about the negative things about kids, but it's nice having that cheerleader there, you know? It's nice. And I said, that's right. <laughs> it showed her conviction. God was at work in her heart. But then I want you to notice, it showed her commitment. Let me put it to you very simply. She had grabbed hold of something real, and she wasn't letting go. She wasn't going to let go. I, I understand. But can I put it to you this way? The real hold that was had, I don't think, was really Ruth's hold on Naomi. I think it was more Bethlehem's hold on Ruth. I don't know that she was really going for Naomi. I think she was going because she believed there's bread there. I think she went because she knew there was a future there. And let me tell you something. People spend a lot of time debating foolishly sometimes on who's got a hold of who. Can I remind you of something? When I got saved, God grabbed hold of me. But when He grabbed hold of me, He put something within me that grabbed hold of Him. And I can't say that I've always held on like I ought to, but He's never let go. But I find that more often than not, it's not just Him holding me, and it's not just me holding Him, but we're just holding each other. And I, and I kind of believe that as Ruth and Naomi were standing there, I don't think Naomi was pulling away from her. I don't think Naomi was pushing her off. I think they both were hugging each other neck to neck. And if you'd looked at them, you wouldn't have known who had hold of who. She had made a commitment. She grabbed a hold of something real. She said, I ain't going to let it go. Well, finally, I want you to notice. By the way, I believe that was the moment she got born again. I, we, there's people who have different opinions, and that's fine, and you're welcome to do that. And I'm keenly aware of, of a lot of the nuances and distinctions between salvation and different dispensations. I know they didn't know everything that, that we know now in this day of grace. I, I'm aware of all those things. But I still believe that there's always been a moment when a sinner comes to know God. I, I can point to it in my December 1st, 1997, uh, about 7.30 in the evening on a Monday evening. Now, you don't have to know all that, but you need to know something happened. On that day, I got saved. And I know that God saved me. And that was the moment in time when that happened. You don't have to know the date. You don't have to know the time. You don't have to know a lot of things. But you better know, there better be a place in your heart and mind that you can go back to, that you can say, there was where I grabbed hold and wouldn't let go. And there was where He grabbed hold of me and has still not let go. I believe that was the moment for Ruth. And I believe the next few verses are not the substance of her salvation, but rather are the expression of her salvation. Can I say it that way? Look what it says in the next few verses. We see her discourager. We see her determination. But finally, I want you to notice her declaration. 
Ruth finally speaks. Ruth hadn't spoken at all in the book of Ruth. But now, Ruth speaks. And what's the first thing she says? Boy, isn't that beautiful. (laughs) I'm glad I'm doing this. It's going to make the teaching tomorrow night better. I'm glad. Hey, isn't that beautiful? Isn't it good to know that God didn't hear anything she said before then? Might have been some prayers to heathen gods that Ruth had prayed. God don't say nothing about them. There might have been some, some curses that, that Ruth had uttered, but God didn't say nothing about that. But the moment that she cleaves, the moment that she grabs hold, the moment that God changes her life, He says, all right, Ruth, let's hear what you've got to say. It also ought to tell us this, that the only reason any of us have anything worth saying is because He's grabbed hold of us. Look what it says, verse number 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. Notice first off, she had new persistence. She had new persistence. She looks at Naomi and she says, Naomi, just go ahead and hush with trying to get me to go back to Moab. Things are different now. There might have been a time, Naomi, that you could have talked me into staying. Now, I know Orpah has gone back, but Naomi, I'm not going back. You might as well stop. Let me tell you something. I believe when God saves a sinner, you might make a lot of mistakes. There might be a lot of things you backslide about. But I believe, listen, if we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. You read your Bible. But if we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. Yet He abideth faithful. We may have moments of unbelief, but my salvation ain't based on my belief. It might have been accessed by faith, but it's based upon Calvary and the grace of God. She says, everything's different now, Naomi. You might as well stop. Nothing's ever going to be the same. She describes a new persistence. Look at the next phrase. She describes a new path for her feet. She says, for whither thou goest, I will go. I know I've walked up and down the hillsides and countrysides of Moab. I know that there are places, nooks and crannies, uh, rivers and creeks and uh, trees and walls and, and hills and mountains that have been the familiar pathway of my footsteps. But Naomi, I'm not going to be walking in Moab anymore. Naomi, you show me the road to Bethlehem and I'll walk it with you. Wherever you go, Naomi, that's where I'm going to go. Let me tell you something. When God saved me, He gave me a new path to walk on. He gave me a new path to walk on. I was walking. I was walking according to the course of this world. But God, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2 says we were walking according to the course. But, but verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy. See, He gives you a new path. You won't always do things perfect. You won't always live right. You'll make a lot of mistakes. I promise you. The only way, listen, the only way you ain't going to make no mistakes is if you get up from your knees and fall down dead. That's it. You do that, you'll have a pretty good record. But if you live this life any amount of time, if you do what I do, if you do what others have done, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. But it doesn't change the fact that there will be a substantive change in your life. When you come to Calvary, a new path is given. We see a new protection. She says this, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Her protection is vested in the presence of the one she's walking with. You know what that means, right? Where thou lodgest. She's not saying, I'm going to live where you live. She does say that later. But what she's saying is, Naomi, on this journey back to Bethlehem, wherever you lead me, I know I'll be all right there. 
Naomi, wherever you lead me, I'll stay where that is. Can I tell you something? You and I, we're just sojourners in this world. We're just making our way back to the house of bread. And you may go through some rough areas. You may wind up on the wrong side of town. Your world may fall around down to pieces. But since you got born again, there is a presence and a protection that walks with you and will not leave you nor forsake you. She says, Naomi, I know wherever you're at, you'll be all right. So I'll just be wherever you're at. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I, I get myself in some trouble. If it was up to me to keep myself safe, my wife can tell you I'd burn the house down in two hours. But there's one that I'm walking with, and he's walking with me. And I don't know that I'll always be okay, but I know he'll always be okay. <laughs> You see, he's the one. He's the one. The seas may be raging, but he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And I know that my boat ain't going to sink because it won't sink with him on board. I am anchored to him and he to me. And so I have a new protection. We see not only a new protection, we see a new people. She says, thy people shall be my people. Hey, Naomi, whatever crowd you feel at home around, that's the crowd I'm going to feel at home around. Let me tell you something. When you got born again, there, there came a constant companion to you. The Spirit of God indwelt you. And He now indwells you. You say, what kind of people should I hang out around? Oh, the kind He feels comfortable around. Hey, if you got some friends that make the Holy Ghost feel uncomfortable, don't hang around them. So how would I know that the Holy Ghost feels uncomfortable? If He starts to convict you, that's His way of saying, get out of here. Get out of here. Hey, listen. You got some things in your home that make the Holy Ghost uncomfortable? I believe I get rid of them. You got some clothes in the closet? Hey, listen, we can spend a lot of time walking around with rulers and looking like a bunch of idiots. Can I give you a good measure for modesty? If it makes the Holy Ghost uncomfortable, it needs to leave the closet. It's that simple. You see, when you got born again, you got the same Holy Ghost that I got. And if it makes him uncomfortable, I believe I get rid of it. On and on we could go with the decisions, with the, the, the jobs that we take, with the places we live, with the nuances of life. But the beautiful thing is this. Whatever he's uncomfortable with, that's what we ought to shy away from. And he'll guide us into all truth. She says, Naomi, thy people shall be my people. She says there's a new providence at work in her life. She says, thy God shall be my God. She says, I'm going to understand and acknowledge now that God is at work in my life. Jehovah, the God of Israel. It's interesting. If it had been written today, I'm sure she would have said, well, thy God shall be my God, or, or my God can be your God, or their God can be our God, because all gods are the same, right? It's not what she says. She says, the gods of Moab, Chemosh, and Malik, they're not going to do it for me anymore. The gods of Moab have helped me none. The gods of Moab have served me no good. I cast off those gods, Naomi, and I recognize your God. Let me tell you something, and there's a lot I want to preach here that I'm going to refrain myself from doing. But let me just say this, that the Christian life is not a hyphenated life. It's not, I'm a Christian and. The Christian life is not a hyphenated life. That in all things, the book of Colossians says, He might have the preeminence. Anything... Hey, it don't have to rob him of the prominence to be an idol. If it just robs him of the preeminence, it's an idol. She says, Naomi, thy God will be my God. 
a new plan, verse number 17, and a new purpose. And I, I'm done. But she says this, Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Can I just give you one simple truth that she's saying? She's saying, Naomi, I didn't start this journey to quit it. Wherever you go, Naomi, that's where I'll go. Wherever the grave of Naomi is, that'll be where the grave of Ruth is. <laughs> we, <laughs> we get into chapters 3 and 4, and we don't find no graves in Bethlehem. We find fields in Bethlehem. We find threshing floors in Bethlehem. We find handfuls of purpose in Bethlehem. But there ain't a one mention of a grave anywhere in Bethlehem. Oh, I know, I understand there was graves in Bethlehem, but isn't it interesting that there's no more death after they leave Moab? kind of tells you something, don't it? It tells you this, that if you'll... And you know what basically what she was saying? She's saying, Naomi, my life is different now. That was a real big, fancy, intricate, I mean, just preach-to-death way of saying, Naomi, my life is different now. The same way that Jacob had said, if you'll do all these things in my life, then you'll be my God. Uh, Ruth is just looking at it from the other direction. She's saying, I've, I've made Him my God, and so all these things are going to be different. But let me say this, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You won't get saved and not know about it. i say that again. You won't get saved and not know about it. You get saved, God will be the first one to know, but you're number two. You get saved, you'll know about it. You won't wonder, you won't hope, you won't think or figure or guess. You'll know that you've been born again. You'll know that you've been born again. Your life will be different, and it's eternally different. Not, not just temporary. This ain't, this ain't no band-aid. Hey, this is through the faith of the operation of God. This ain't no band-aid. God saves you and He saves you eternally.